ahead. If you could begin making your way back to your seats, that would be great. And as you do, grab your Bibles, maybe the one you brought, maybe the one in your pocket that also doubles as your cell phone, uh, perhaps one of the ones in front of you if you didn't have one of those other options with you. Uh, this morning's a little bit different than uh, the, the plan typically looks, uh, a little bit different than it even looked yesterday afternoon, quite frankly. And um, that uh, Jen was supposed to be up there for the first set, um, but they got a sick kiddo. So I got to pinch hit and play a little bit. Um, but it also looks a little different in that uh, we have an opportunity this morning to partake and celebrate in the bread and the cup. And uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be finishing off 1 Corinthians 13, looking at the characteristics or the attributes of love, the remaining five that we have not yet looked at. And then we're going to just have an extended time of song together and uh, plan to maybe about a half hour more of music, just an opportunity for, for you, for us, individually, co- corporately, collectively, to just sing. And uh, we'll partake of the bread and cup in the midst of that, and Damien will give instructions um, when we get there. But I uh, thought to just kind of close off this set of verses and this section as we're looking at and we're thinking about, first and foremost, God's love for us and how that leads us and calls us to demonstrate love in a certain way to others, how appropriate to reflect on the greatest demonstration of love that, the God, that God has demonstrated to us. And that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so we're just going to take time this morning to reflect on that, to worship Him for that, and also think through what you and I are called to do because of what He has done for us. And so when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, He said it was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he just went right on to say the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He told his disciples in the upper room, by the way you love one another, people will know that you follow me. And the commands to love one another show up repeatedly through the New Testament. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 gives us then a description of what this love is. And in context, and we'll look at that context much more specifically next week as we continue on and finish the chapter. Uh, In context, Paul is contrasting spiritual gifts with love. And he has spent from the beginning of chapter 12 through the first part of chapter 13 outlining different spiritual gifts. And he has said God gives different gifts to different people. He gives those people different places where their gifts are going to be used. And he even gives the results that take place when those gifts are used in those different places. He gives them different effects. Something different happens. And it's not because that person was greater than this person or that person did what. It's because of God's design and his choice in that and you and I are called to just use our gifts we got to figure out what they are and we can talk through that and we certainly will and we have been but we're just called to use our gifts and not really worry about the place not really worry about the effects those things that God takes care of 
We're called to be faithful in using the gifts that we have been given. But the contrast is that regardless of how great your gifts are, how great you think they might be, how great somebody else's gifts might be in your opinion, what is even greater is love. And he goes as far to say, if you have the greatest expression of spiritual gifts, in some ways ever known to man, but you have not love, you have entirely missed the point. And so then he goes on to define love for us, and we see this definition then work its way out in the beginning of chapter 13, and these are verbs that are listed for us. They are not adjectives. They read like adjectives, descriptive words in our English Bibles, but they're actually verbs and they're commands for us to do. And the big idea is that because God is, we must be. And so God is patient. You and I are called to be patient. God is kind. We're called to be kind. God doesn't envy. God doesn't boast. God's not arrogant. Those things shouldn't characterize us. Love is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. But it rejoices with truth. And and if you don't have love, your gifts don't matter, quite frankly, however great they might be. And this is a description of what love looks like, both in what it is and what it is not, both positive and Negative, And as we close down these last remaining verses, look at verse 7. We're going to see some words repeated there for us. And it's the word all and it's the word things. And these last five verbs, action words, describing love, quite frankly, are some of the more difficult ones to understand because they're written in absolutes. When you get the word all in there, and when you throw the word things on with it, it's an absolute. So there's some challenges, though, when we place this into the context of just everyday life. We're going to think through those a little bit, but I I don't want us to try to wiggle out from the absolutes. They're given to us absolutely for a reason. Let's not try to find ways to remove ourselves and find exceptions to the absolutes. Where we might actually find ourselves wanting to wiggle out could be areas of our life the Lord needs to do some work on. Let's read verse 7 and the beginning part of verse 8 and then spend some time just in prayer. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. Well, God, we pray that you would help us to understand what you have written. God, help us to understand how this is first and foremost a description of your love for us. And because you are, we must be. And we are called to love those around us in the same way that you have loved us. God, help us think through these things. God, help us to not try to wiggle out, find exceptions, and 
the buts. God, where we may be uncomfortable this morning, I pray that you'd do two things. I pray that you'd help us to lean into that because it's an area that we need you to do work in. But God, help us to draw near where we feel some angst and want to wiggle out. But God, would you remind us of how great you are in the midst of that as well. And how your love is inseparable. And it was demonstrated on the cross. And so God, help us to know more of who Jesus is. Know more of your love for us. And in turn, love you more as well. And it's in his good name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go to the first one, bears all things. And before I forget, I meant to mention this about 10 minutes ago. Uh, Moms and dads, because of the extended singing, we're going to bring the kiddos back in to join us. Okay, so Carrie's going to be bringing them back in, Carrie and Eve, in about 20 minutes. So um, just so you have a heads up, when they start all walking back in, that's my cue to be done. Um, And didn't want you to just kind of be surprised. There's not been a major emergency. It was all planned, and uh, so we got to get moving. Love bears all things. This this word bears all things. Uh, it means to pass over in silence. Uh, think about it this way: it's to keep confidential. Okay, let's probably try to put it into a, a little bit more context. It's it's patiently enduring. Those who seek to follow Jesus well, but will do so imperfectly. So just think about that. You, you know people in your life, maybe there are people in your house, certainly people in our church, maybe in your extended family, maybe in your job, whatever it might be, whatever the relationship might be, you know people who want to follow Jesus well, but they're doing so imperfectly. And because of that, there's going to be moments of friction along the way because they're imperfect people. And oh, by the way, you are as well, so this cuts, this cuts both ways. And love bearing all things and passing over in silence is you choosing to not air their dirty laundry. Put this in the context of a husband and wife relationship. There's a lot that spouses could say about one another. A love bears all things. Put this into a community group context where we've talked about wanting the values to be praying for one another, caring for one another, serving one another, holding one another accountable. You, you get into that group when perhaps somebody's like, I'm, I'm really struggling with obeying this. Love doesn't go out of that room and tell everybody. Because it patiently endures those who are wanting to follow Jesus well, but will do so imperfectly. It passes over in silence. It keeps confidence. It's the opposite of gossip. It's the opposite of gossip. You know things, but you're trustworthy with what you know. Now, we've got to contrast this with something else that Paul wrote. And he wrote this in 1 Corinthians 5. Think with me back to this 
text. But now I am writing to you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such one. There's something in the text here that we, we cannot miss. If love bears all things, and the way that I have defined that for you is that it patiently endures those who want to follow Jesus well, but will do so imperfectly. What Paul addresses here is an instance where this gentleman is just paying lip service, just claiming to bear the name of brother, but his lifestyle and his actions are such that there is, it's not just the imperfection of somebody wanting to follow well, it's the decisive, repeated, habitual, we might say, actions of somebody that just says, no, I'm going to claim Christ with my lips and then I'm going to completely do what I want to do. Now, to that person, Paul's going to say, you don't even go to Burger King with them. You don't share a meal. You figure out how to limit your exposure with that individual so that you don't become associated with them. So how does love bear all things and yet take a really hard line? Well, the, the difference is on and where that individual is either repentive for what they have done or just arrogant and persistent in their sin. Love will take a hard stand. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. To obey what he writes here means that where there is repetitive, persistent, habitual sin, there's, there's a time and a place for the church. This is, not, this is written to the church. For the group to go, we love you. We have to distance ourselves from you until you are ready to turn. But for the one who wants to follow Jesus well and will yet do so imperfectly, love bears all things. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not rejoice, or but rejoices in the truth. And here's the thing. To do what Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 5, culture is going to tell you that's not loving. Because love has been defined as letting anybody do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do it, wherever they want to do it. How dare we say to anybody that what you have done should not have been done. And the answer to that as believers is we say those things because God has said those things. That the authority is not in me, the authority is in God's word. So when God's word says, don't be a drunkard and you are persistent in the bottle... I'm now obligated to obey this and let you know we've come to a point in time where there needs to be a break because of your persistence in sin. But that takes us to our next attribute of love, the next action point of love, in that it believes all things. It considers something or someone to be true and worthy of trust. Now this first and foremost is going to speak to our confidence in the authority and reliability of the word of God. Do we believe that God's word is what it is and that we can build our life on it and we can base our life on it and we should obey it? If we believe that, then we do things that are hard things like 1 Corinthians 5. 
Because we believe more in God's word than we do in whatever other voices may be around. We believe first and foremost. We believe that God can be trusted and his word will be true. And from there then this begins to work itself out horizontally to other relationships. So practically speaking, to believe all things, for the one who's wanting to follow Jesus well and yet doing so imperfectly, love gives the benefit of the doubt. It doesn't just immediately jump to suspicion. I think one of the ways that might be helpful for us to think about love believing all things is that it's oriented towards optimism. It's oriented to optimism. It doesn't merely just write off those who have wronged us or hurt us. It prays for them. It seeks to protect them by not airing dirty laundry. It forgives. It it welcomes the return when repentance is made. Think of the prodigal son's father and how he welcomed his son when he came home. It's not closing off parts of our hearts to people because of what they might have done. That's a whole lot easier said than done. Can we just be honest about that? A whole lot easier. And again, this is one of those moments where we have to just distinguish forgiveness from reconciliation. Because reconciliation takes two. It takes two people at the table acknowledging that wrong has been done. But forgiveness is something that does not take two. Love will believe all things, and it first and foremost believes that what God's word says, we're going to do because God has said it, and he knows a little bit more than we do, and we're going to trust him. And then it orients itself to optimism. So I want to show you a text in 2 Corinthians here, and we've got to speed up just a little bit. So uh, write down the reference first and foremost, 2 Corinthians 2, 5 to 11. We'll just read the first part of it for you. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure to not put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Like, what in the world is going on here? Here's what I believe is going on here. That man from 1 Corinthians 5 that Paul said, stop eating with, The discipline worked. He came back. And he goes, I've been wrong. I had a relationship with my mother-in-law that I should not have been having. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul comes back to that topic, although not as specifically, and just says, look, that brother who comes back in repentance, you welcome back. There's an orientation to optimism. There's not a suspicion. So the brother comes back and he, I, he, he lays before you the wrongs that have been done and he repents of it. There is, a, there is a welcoming. There is a forgiveness extended that there may not be excessive sorrow. Love believes 
all things. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says that if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch, lest you too be tempted. See, it's oriented to optimism. It believes all things, and it first and foremost believes that, that God's word tells us that there's times we've got to take a hard line. We've got to be willing to say, like, what has happened should not have happened. But in doing so, we don't position ourselves in such a way that there's no opportunity for reconciliation. Love believes all things. Some of your versions may say, love always trusts. And again, first and foremost, it trusts God's word. And one of the things God's word is going to say is that evil's real. Sin is real. This verse, and I think even the NIV translation of it, of love always trusts, can at times maybe be used to lead us back to abusive situations. But nothing is further from the heart of God. So love always trusting does not mean that you just immediately run back to a situation of abuse. There needs to be some some work and some time. It's an opportunity perhaps for the, the men of the church to engage and help determine if repentance is legitimate and genuine. Love hopes. It looks ahead with expectation. It looks ahead with confidence. Hebrews 11 gives us a definition of hope and faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Love always hopes. It looks ahead with confidence. And first and foremost, love hopes in God. Love hopes in the fact that if there's still breath in the lungs of whomever may have hurt us, that God can still do a great work in them. Love hopes because of who God is and hopes in God because who he is. Now this hope, does it's not a pie in the sky hope. And we see at the tail end of Hebrews chapter 11 that After the writer of Hebrews has walked through and outlined all sorts of different people who did all sorts of amazing things because of their faith in God and their willingness to put action and put their money where their mouth was. And he then then chronicles some people that maybe didn't have such a great end. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went around in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered around in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, but they hoped. Because faith is the conviction of things hoped for. There was a confidence in those, despite the... Very worst, perhaps, we could imagine. 
There was a confidence in who God was, and there was a willingness to put action behind it. Because faith is the conviction of things hoped for. Love always hopes, and our God is a God of hope. And here in Romans 15, Paul says, Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope, that there might be this cycle of hope persistent and perpetually at work in our lives, that the God of hope fills us with joy in Him as we place our faith and trust in Him, not just for salvation, but for every day, for the righteous will live by faith, that then the power of the Holy Spirit may cause us to abound in more hope, that our orientation is towards optimism and towards confidence because of who God is more than anything. His love always hopes. So it doesn't write off. It prays for, it seeks to protect, it, 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 it forgives and it positions itself to reconcile if repentance is made. Perhaps some of you have family members that aren't either walking with the Lord or maybe they're just not even believers. To love them is to always hope that there's still time and that your obedience to be salt and light before them matters. Love in that sense doesn't say, I've told them a thousand times, I'm not telling them anymore. Love says, no, I'm going to hope because God's bigger. My grandmother got saved the last week of her life after living an entire lifetime of antagonism towards the gospel. And it was because somebody hoped that there was still time because there was still breath. Love endures all things. The idea here is to maintain a course of action in the face of opposition Love stands its ground. It's steady. It's dependable. It's sturdy. It endures. Jesus is said to have endured, and I think we get a picture of what this endurance looks like in Hebrews 12. So right after what we just read about. So therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Those individuals and many more that we just read about. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder or author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. This is that word endurance. Gives us a picture of what it is that we're talking about. It's a, it's a steadfastness in the face of opposition. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So because God is, we must be. Jesus, God in the flesh, endured the cross for us, so that we might have salvation 
And yet here the author of Hebrews tells us that we don't just have salvation, we have an example. So consider, put your focus and your gaze on who Jesus is and what he has done when you, when you feel like you're ready to give up. I'm done enduring all things. I'm done hoping. I'm done bearing. I'm done doing all of this. I'm, I've, I've had it. I've reached my limit. And the author of Hebrews says, I want you to take your gaze and look up. Consider the cross. Consider who Jesus is. Consider what he has done. And love never ends. That word ends, it literally means to fall. Think crumble. It's not the wall that will crumble down into pieces. It persists. It does not end. It continues on. What I want to do as Damien and Cindy come up and as we transition here, I just want to read from Romans 8 about this never-ending, not-going-to-fall-apart not going to crumble love that God has demonstrated to us in the person of Jesus. And as we transition to just a, an, an extended time of just song and, and praise, I want you to think through in, in reflection and anticipation of the bread and the cup and, and also just, in, in just that, that gut check that needs to happen when we read about love in this way. So our example is Christ. Love never ends because God's love never ends. And so I want to ask you to do this. Would you just close your eyes? Would you just read the text? And then we're going to transition to song. I know if the kids come in. That's going to be good and destroy. I hear them. They're coming. They're on their way. We're going to get invaded soon. Let's just think about God's love for us. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also With him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord.